Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, Bill Jack from Worldview Academy, with me on this one as well. And today, very interesting stuff. I caught this news story from ABC News. Granted, something of a liberal organization and liberal scientists that are in charge of this project, but I want to make a comment on how this represents the mind of postmodern man. The doomsday clock has been moved up to 90 seconds before midnight. Doomsday is 90 seconds away. That's the closest humanity has ever been to an apocalyptic event since 1947. And the doomsday clock has been around since just after World War II, after the nuclear bombs dropped. So almost immediately afterwards, scientists came together and said, we need the doomsday clock. And if you follow the doomsday clock since 1947, you can find trend charts online for this doomsday clock started out at seven minutes to midnight in 1947 during the cold war it dropped to two minutes so that's that's the closest it ever got to midnight midnight is the kaboom but was the uh, cuban missile crisis you know that's going to be the tightest you're going to see for for the doomsday clock up into the 1960s by the end of the 1960s, Lyndon B. Johnson, Richard Nixon, 12 minutes, so back to 12 minutes, we're getting more optimistic, 17 minutes under Reagan, George H.W. Bush, we're up to 17 minutes in the early 90s, then back down to seven minutes under George W. Bush, the doomsday clock has dropped to five minutes under Barack Obama, back down to three minutes with Donald Trump when he was inaugurated in 2016 now it stands at 90 seconds in the year 2023 90 seconds to doomsday tick 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 yep interesting stuff friends scientists revealed on tuesday this would have been about a week or two ago the doomsday clocks been moved up to 90 seconds russia's thinly veiled threats to use nuclear weapons remind the world that escalation of the conflict by accident intention or calculations terrible risk says rachel bronson president and ceo of the bulletin of atomic scientists the possibilities that the conflict can spin out of anyone's control remains high uh bronson noted the u.n secretary general warned in august that the world has entered a time of nuclear danger not seen since the height of the cold war etc now they've placed it at 90 seconds so what does this mean? What is the worldview takeaway from this? And the first of which is this, Bill. Scientific man, atheistic man, humanistic man, or this postmodern man without God is becoming more pessimistic. I mean, it's just growing pessimism. The degree to which this represents a realistic perspective is perhaps up for grabs. I don't know. We don't know the future. But it, to the extent that their pessimism is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I still don't know that. But whatever the case is, this is pessimistic. (laughs) You agree with that? Yeah, despite the fact that, you know, we're supposed to get better and better because man is the measure of all things. there you go, right. And so it must be something of a disappointment to the postmodern humanist. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Now, there's always been something of a tension in the mind of humanistic man, which is, you know, apostate man, as to whether or not he is... God, right? The humanist insists that he's God, determining good and evil, ethics, everything else for himself. Whether he's God or whether he's cosmic dust. So he goes in the psychology classroom, they tell him he's God. Moves on into the biology classroom, suddenly he's cosmic dust with no real value 
any more than any other piece of cosmic dust in the universe. So which is it? Am I a God or am I cosmic dust? And it seems to me, Bill, that cosmic dust wins out. Pessimism Pessimism. seems to win out for humanist man. Right. That's always where he goes. Man's basically good, but we lock our doors. Yeah, well, that's true too, right? <laughs> exactly. We guard our bank account. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. There's that tension, right? It's internal contradictions in the system. Now, this is somewhat a measure of worldly optimism. Optimism improved in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. I think one of the reasons it improved was because, actually, Christianity was coming back to some extent mm-hmm. in the United States. And then when we... F- eventually moved on into the rise of homosexuality, the rise of anti-God perspectives in the public schools, and the persecution of Christians in the 2000s in the American workplace, etc. Western society began to degrade, and at the same time, the overall optimism is at an all-time low. You agree with that? That we are at an all-time low for uh, national, social, cultural, political, military, Optimism. We just are not optimistic. This thing's going to blow. That's what people are thinking. People are thinking the end of the world. Well, the second takeaway before I take the break is this. So the first takeaway is postmodern man has turned pessimistic. He's 90 seconds away from doomsday. Second takeaway is this. These nations are less stable than they were in the 1960s and 70s, and that's because they're sinning against God. God is destabilizing the nations when they abandon God. Ultimately, what's who's in control of all of this? God's in control. And we want to remind our listeners that God is in control. But now, what, what, what do Christians think? Well, Christians think, well, if nations would repent, then there would be something of a blessing upon the nations. This typically happens. A nation that humbles itself, God lifts them up. A nation that puffs up itself and and sponsors pride marches and presses homosexual indoctrination to every other public school in America is in a dangerous position. Job 12, 23, he makes the nations great and then he destroys them. He enlarges nations and then leads them away. Psalm 46, 8 to 10, come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He burns the chariots in the fire, but I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, says the Lord. And the Tower of Babel, remember, in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, it was the Lord God who scattered them abroad. It says, the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. So who did it? God did it. Now, if you had been there, Bill, and you just reviewed what was going on, you'd say, well, there appears to be all these secondary causes working. You know, people aren't getting along with each other, different cultural perspectives developing. Wow, we just don't have the unity of cause and purpose anymore. You know, we have all these psychological explanations for what happened. Yeah, there are many second causes that go on in the scattering of the peoples at Babel. You you didn't see a visible God just tossing people into different parts of Europe and Asia. That wasn't going on. It was just simply God using second causes to bring about a scattering of the people. Same thing happens today. God is, you believe God is still as in control of the nations today as he was back then? Yes, absolutely. There you go. Amen. So, friends, before we take the break, what do we do? Well, here, fear God first. Oh, man, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. 
His seed shall be mighty in the earth, and he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Okay, bombs drop, whatever happens. The man who fears the Lord, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. Fear God, trust God. Do not fear man. Do not fear nuclear war. For 10 seconds, do not fear what man can do. And do not say, here, one more thing. Do not say, it'll never happen here. Think I'll have another beer. Don't say that. Please don't say that. Be realistic. God destroyed a third of Europe during the bubonic plague. And and are we really doing that much better than 15th century France? You really think we're doing that much better than 15th century France? No. I don't think so. So so don't say, it'll never happen here. Think I'll have another beer. Don't, Don't you dare say that. Be back with more in just a moment on the Generations Broadcast. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we're back on Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. Just a couple of updates. Just a couple of updates, Bill. This is FYI. Iran's nuclear capability. Beginning in 2021, Iran began developing highly enriched uranium. So what was that, two years ago? Or whatever, like 18 months ago, whatever. Now they've got 55 kilograms of 60%, as well as some uranium purified to 84%. They're within 6%. Uh, of the 90% necessary to create nuclear bombs. That's reported in Bloomberg. North Korea has launched 70 missiles in the last year. 70 missiles in the last year. North Korea has launched 70 missiles in the last year, 35 in 2014 and 5 in 2008. So what is kind of do your little exponential thing in the air, you know, 5 to 35 to 70, okay. So 70 missiles last year. China will have 1,500 nuclear warheads shortly. They're at about 400 now. Uh, Chinese have tested a hypersonic missile in July 2021 that flew around the world before hitting its target, an accomplishment that drew attention to the lagging pace of U.S. hypersonic weapons development. In other words, we're behind Russia and China on hypersonic. Hypersonic can deliver the thing in about 30 minutes, so you don't have much of a shot. Newsweek magazine, this is new, this is interesting, came out just a week ago. The Kremlin has ordered bomb shelters to be upgraded throughout Russia, according to a Monday report by the Moscow Times. The online outlet wrote that current and former Russian officials have said that Kremlin has ordered inspections and repairs on shelters and bunkers amid rising fears that the country could be targeted by strikes during its war with Ukraine. Now, here's a little history on this. You want a little history on this? The Soviet Union spent vast sums on building and equipping thousands of fallout shelters 
They always contained enough food, water, clean air, and even small arms to fight potential enemy landing parties. During the Cold War, both Soviet and American peoples were sure that any day nuclear bombs could start falling. Most of the fallout shelters in Russia were constructed in the basements of buildings with the most important and largest in factories, plants, and city administration. Statistically, a medium-sized city, uh, 200,000 inhabitants, had 70 to 100 shelters. Moscow or Leningrad had 10 times more, meaning up to 1,000 shelters. Besides, subway stations in the two capitals were considered as shelters as well. I've been in subways in St. Petersburg, and uh, they're about 40 to 50 feet underground. They're way underground. That's where the bomb shelters have been uh, built for uh, sheltering the millions of folks in Leningrad or St. Petersburg as well as Moscow. Even the modest Soviet fallout shelters were equipped with an advanced cooling system, different filters protecting against chemical and biological weapons, radiation, dust, and smoke. They were very big on this sort of thing. Provisions of food and water, proper operation of filters were planned for three days. After this period, the initial negative consequence of nuclear bombing would have passed. Now, let's look at the United States. The United States President Kennedy was privately skeptical about the value of public shelter programs for the United States. What they did was they came up with an idea. The price tag for bomb shelters in the United States would have yielded about $200 billion. So the feds opted for the next best thing, shelters that would shield citizens from the radioactive particulates likely to be blowing around after the attack without fallout shelters would do nothing to safeguard people from an actual bomb. They would, in the words of JFK's civil defense chief, give our presently unprotected population some form of protection. They opted to invest a few bucks in some wonderful signs featuring three yellow triangles inscribed in a black circle. You may remember some of these. They were placed, and you'll still find them here and there in America. Um, An arresting image approved by the government psychologist, the 3M Corporation manufactured 400,000 shelter signs for which Uncle Sam paid less than a penny apiece, meaning they they did it for about four grand. They didn't want to do the $200 billion for fallout shelters like the Ruskies did, but uh, they went ahead and did the signs. So they invested (laughs) in a couple thousand dollars for signs. The signs popped up everywhere. Uh, Now, understand, friends, none of the buildings were intended to serve as a bomb shelter. There are no bomb shelters in America. Uh, To speak of, American cities have no bomb shelters. Russian cities have tens of thousands of underground bomb shelters. 89% of Americans now live in cities, up from 56% in 1940. So just be aware of that. 89% of Americans live in cities, up from 56% in 1940. 75% of Russians live in cities. And I think what people need to understand about modern warfare is that warfare has changed. Now, again, I realize there are people who say, you know what? We'll never be at war. War will never come to us. We'll never face disease. We'll never face war. But friends, I'm just telling you, (laughs) that's not the way the world runs. But war has changed. Armies used to meet on battlefields away from urban populations. Now armies gather in cities. Today, the focus has shifted to civilians. I'm reading from history.com. This is due to a number of factors, including the increasing importance of economic warfare and the high cost of maintaining large standing armies. In other words, the goal in warfare is to break the back of an economy, which happens by destroying factories, destroying homes, destroying cities, destroying communication, destroying energy sources, messing up the Internet, you know, that kind of thing. That's that's the way you bring a nation to its knees. So that's how you're going to win the war. It's not going to be on a battlefield anymore. It's just bombing the living daylights out of as many cities as possible. This is the way it's done. This is the way warfare will be done 
for the foreseeable future. Ultimately, the goal of warfare today is the breakdown of the economy to introduce mass disease or mass destruction of the cities. That's the main strategy. And I can't think of any other strategy, friends, beyond biological and nuclear warfare. That is the future. That's the obvious go-to for the future of warfare. Why? Because that's how you break the back or of an economy, of a people. And, and it's not going to be fought in, on battlefields anymore. It's going to be fought in the cities. Uh, that's, that's where warfare is going in the future, and that's where it is today. Okay, so what do we do as Christians? What do we do? How do we address this? Well, number one, just remember this, and I keep coming back to this. I know I've addressed this a number of times, but uh, for our families, for our Christian churches, for our Christian children who are going to maybe sign up for the armed forces or whatever it is, God does not allow for scorched earth warfare. We, I had the question posed to me one, at one point, do Christians launch nuclear bombs over cities? And I said, no, we don't. We don't do that. Why? Because Deuteronomy 20 says you don't use the, you don't, you don't burn down the fruit trees. It's interesting. Deuteronomy 20 says you don't kill the fruit trees. You don't knock down all of the fruit trees. You don't do that. You don't bring scorched earth into warfare. You go after the fighting men. You, you, don't, you don't kill the economies. You don't do that. And by the way, you don't go after the citizens. You don't go after women and children either. These are the principles of warfare. Christians can defend their nations by taking down enemy combatants. They can, they can institute systems that can pull down enemy missiles. And by the way, Star Wars was a great example of that. It was unfortunately defunded uh, during the Reagan administration. What didn't get much support but Star Wars is an excellent example of defending a nation from missiles. The more a nation can do to prevent the missiles from, from coming down upon our cities, the better. That is one of the most important aspects of warfare in the modern world as applied to Christian principles. Okay, so friends, that's it. And then secondly, here's the second takeaway before we're done on this edition of the program. Remember that God brings his judgments on the earth, but we need to be humble. We need to be humble. We need to be repentant and humble ourselves. Listen to Zephaniah 2 and verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Now, you do that, what happens? Listen, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. It's pretty powerful. So what do we focus in upon? Well, seek righteousness. Take a stand for righteousness in the public forum. And to the extent that Christians still stand up against the slaughter of the innocents before abortion clinics, to the extent that Christians stand for righteousness and humility, which means that we're the first to confess our sins, we're the first to acknowledge God, to fear God, to serve God in humility and the fear of God. Friends, that's the key. That's the key. And here's one more principle that you can take home with you, and that is, for 10 righteous people, God would not have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So, Bill, the, what, you're, what you're fighting for, what you're, what you're, what you're struggling after is, 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 I think the ratio is something like, you know, 14,000 Christians in the Denver metro area. <laughs> you know, that's roughly the, the ratio. For 14,000 faithful Christians in the Denver metro area, would God destroy Denver? 
The same principle applies today as it did back then. And so what we're calling Christians to do, my people humble themselves, acknowledge their sin, and seek the Lord, seek his face, and he will heal their land. So it's ultimately God's people that matter. And so we, we focus the message first and foremost to God's people and call them to humility, call them to repentance, call them to worship, call them to fear God and to raise their children in the nurture and the fear of the living God. That, my friends, is our focal point today on Generations. And this is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.